Welcome to the Joplin and Andrea podcast, where we discuss all things faith, family, and fun. I'm Joplin Emerson, here with my co-host and lovely wife, Andrea. Welcome to the show. Welcome, guys. We have a great show for you today. Our lineup is we are going to talk about missions and when missions become dangerous, local, national, and international. We're going to talk about Joplin's Amazon shopping problem. We're going to talk about when a 13-year-old gives a 13 year old gives a dog a haircut. And we are also going to be talking about my car wash experience. So we have a great show lined up for you today. And let's get started with missions. Okay, before we do, I don't have a shopping problem. Just so anybody that's waiting for the end of this. He kind of does. Know, it's not. She's, the way she said this sounded like it was some form of a, an addiction or like a problem you need help with. Well, let's wait for the whole story and then they can decide for themselves. Yeah, I just don't want anyone, everyone out there being, you know, feeling like bad for me or like there needed to be some intervention or something uh-huh. because that's not the case at all. Some therapy. I don't need therapy. Well, folks, just wait till the end and when you hear the whole scenario, we'll let you come to the conclusion on your own. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. Let's get started. We're talking about missions today, uh, kind of specifically um, two major questions that we have been asked many times um, throughout the course of of the years that we've been doing missions, which is um, a long time now. Yeah. More than a decade. And so let's uh, see. The the first question that uh, is kind of fun, we've been asked a handful of times, What's the most dangerous thing you've ever experienced doing the mission work that you guys have done? And then there's a follow-up question. With so much work to be done right here in your own hometown and own country, why do you guys do so much work in other countries? And so um, we're going to tackle those two questions today. Let's start off with what's the most dangerous thing you've experienced doing the mission work you guys have done. So what would your opinion be, Andrea? What's the most um, dangerous or terrifying thing that you've had to experience so far? All right. Well, um, it's kind of funny that this is asked because I don't usually share this unless somebody just gets real specific about missions. But um, when we were in Haiti, it was a team of us that were in Haiti. Um, We were in uh, the compound that we stayed at at night. And a friend of mine and I were actually out on the patio because there's no electricity there and pretty much the entire city at night it just goes black and we had a generator running and so we did have some lights going and some fans blowing on us but um about midnight there was um shots fired and we kind of looked at each other and thought are those really shots or are we just you know hearing things or is that going to keep going and then we heard more shots and they sounded like they were super close to where we were at and so we kind of got concerned and um while we did mission work there we always had security with us we had security guards and they stayed below we stayed in the housing above and um the security guards were outside and they looked at us and they said in their language but you could tell what they were saying was that you need to get in the house and get down and so um her and i had to wake up the entire team and get everybody into the center of the house, which happened to be the restroom. Um, And we were in that restroom for probably 15 to 20 minutes, but I mean, it seemed like an hour um, with just everything going on. And the shots continued and they continued. You could hear them while we were in there. And um, it was very, very terrifying. I remember that you just so happened to be awake. We were already texting, I think, about something else. And so I remember that text that I had to send you that said, hey, we are in the middle of we don't really know what's going on, um, but I need you to pray because we're in danger. And we weren't sure if they were after us, 
or if they're after um, something else, but um, and we still don't know. They could have been. They could have been after us. Um, but we were safe. We did um, all end up having to sleep in one room in this compound, and didn't get much sleep that night just because we were we were scared. We didn't know what was going to happen, and um, so that was the most difficult. We were actually told the next day that it may happen again, um, and so it was. It was very scary. The we were there in that situation during that time in that season that we were we were in the middle of this this gunfight and um it was it was not pleasant we were told the next day that they were after a bad guy and just weren't sure if it made a whole lot of sense because it was pitch black everywhere else and so we were one of the only places with lights on but yeah that's my most terrifying experience we've um had a few other things and i would have to say they're all mostly in Haiti. Um, and so that's, that's my worst. What about you? Well, I've been in a couple of dangerous situations. The worst situation was Haiti. And we, um, me and a guy named Larry Brooker, uh, who's been part of our missions work for mm -hmm. many years, yeah. uh, still a member of the church at the Well Worship Center. Um, Larry and I were in Haiti together looking at some new works that we were considering possibly trying to get the church involved with. And when we were there, we got word that there was going to be an organized protest to shut down all the traffic coming through Port-au-Prince. It was a big deal that people were angry with their government. Um, this was back when American gas prices were at a high of over $4. And then if you remember that time frame, they eventually dropped back down to about $2.85 a gallon. Well, in Haiti, they were still up over $4, and they were being held high by the government there. And the people were furious. They knew that gas prices had dropped worldwide, and yet their government was um, holding them up yeah. artificially. And they were angry and making a protest. And they weren't supposed to block the streets until 10 a.m. the morning that we were supposed to fly home. We got up real early that morning, left at about six o'clock, four hours before the protests were supposed to begin. Mm -hmm. And um, halfway between our trip to from where, you know, the compound, we use that word compound. It's actually like a half acre home, uh, piece of land with a, a two story home on it, surrounded by um, walls with razor wire on top of the walls. And so we left the mission house. We were halfway to the airport and we started to get barricaded in because they had already started closing the roads. And the short story is we got caught in an all-out riot. And it was a really dangerous scenario because we were two uh, white Americans. And even though obviously we, we didn't have anything to do with the problem, we were a symbol mm -hmm. of to these people the um, oppression that comes from wealthy people and a lot of them are very um, you know they just believe a lot of conspiracy theories that type of stuff and think the U.S. is all of us um, are in you know getting rich off of them being poor and you'll find in, in Haiti it's not a good thing to take pictures yeah you bring your mission team and it's one of the first things we tell our teams don't take pictures the people believe that if you're taking pictures, you're going to go home, show pictures of them to rich Americans, take the money from the rich Americans, keep it for yourself. Yeah. And there's this mindset that all of us are just rich because we exploit them. 
obviously that's uh, not at all what we're doing, but being in the middle of a riot when everybody's furious, they there yeah. ain't no way to get your story out there. And Larry and I literally got barricaded in um, where we, it was a, a terrifying situation. And um, it's, it's an incredible story how we got out of that thing alive. We were at the mercy of the protesters and we had come to the center of the protest. It was there. Um, they had shut down the largest bridge in um, Port-au-Prince and there were, it's hard, it's difficult to explain what was going on there. For people that are familiar with Wichita, uh, there's a road, a, a highway that runs all the way east to west. We call it Kellogg. People might know it as 400 or Highway 50. It would be as if they shut barricades every five feet, or excuse me, every five miles and put burning tires across Kellogg so that you couldn't drive on it. And every five miles, there were people manning those barricades. And then there would be somewhere, a major intersection where the main protest was happening from and the news was there and the People organizing the protest were there. That was that's the best way I can try to put in the the minds of our listeners what was happening. So we get to this main place to try to cross the bridge, and it's already shut down. It looks to the people like we're trying to defy their protest. Terrifying. And by the grace of God, the pastor that that we were with uh, was able to talk to the leaders of what they called the resistance. And it was, no joke, a bunch of gang members, literally gang members. And the pastor that we were with approached those leaders, told them that we were in danger, and just yeah. pleaded with them to help us. And these gang leaders come run into our vehicles, jump on our vehicles, and tell us to go. And we would come up to a barricade, and hundreds of people would come screaming with rocks like they were going to bash out our windows and kill us all. And then these leaders of the resistance would jump off, and everywhere we went, immediately the people recognize their faces and they're shouting at each other and it's very tense and eventually these leaders would point to the fire barricades of tires burning and these other men would run into them pull these burning tires apart we would drive across the burning you know the, the area they'd throw the tires back behind us and and go on with the protest and we had to go through a handful of those barricades I remember thinking our tires were going to blow up, um, but we made it to the airport. I think I have a pic- couple pictures of this that, uh, if so, I'm going to put up here uh, on on the screen of not only the, some of the fire that we had to drive by. It's not a great picture because I'm snapping out the window and I'm kind of trying to lay low so people don't see us and we're driving through and I'm snapping pictures of the fire. Yes. But I've got a picture of us with the, uh, the gang members that set, literally saved our lives. And I'll never forget, though, uh, God's grace in that, being with us. And um, literally the only people in that entire city that would have had the authority mm-hmm. to lead us through and keep us safe from the mob was that group of gang leaders that were leading that resistance. And there they were, hooked on the side of our vehicle, standing on the, you know, the, the steps of the, the trucks and leading us to safety. It's a surreal moment I'll never forget, um, but by far that was the most dangerous experience I've ever 
been in and uh, hope to never have to be in anything like it again. So I remember. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because God worked that out where you actually were able to call me in the middle of it and said, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Yeah. And that was a big moment. It was. Yeah. It's the only time I've ever had to call and tell her that. And both of us got a similar call. When she called that night, yeah. gunfire happened at midnight outside. You never know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But so follow up question, obviously with it being dangerous. You got something else to say? Well, I just want to pause. You said, you know, that those people were on there. And I'm just thankful for God's protection because in your scenario, God provided the way out with those men. And um, I remember thinking after that whole scenario happened with us, I actually cried about it while I was there and so did a few others. But um, just we had bodyguards with us and they were paid to protect us. And um, I remember that we had got a phone call from that very pastor you talked about the next, actually it wasn't the next day, it was just hours after everything happened. And he said, I just want to remind you, my men are downstairs and they will die for you. And I just thought how humbling that was that those people don't know me. I'm just the crazy American that came over here to try to help, but they saw the good we were doing and they were willing, if that meant they needed to die to protect me, they would. Yeah. And, um, it was just, it was amazing. It was incredible. And God had them there to, to protect us and do what they needed to do to keep us safe. And anyway, that was just awesome. Wow. We're not supposed to cry on the podcast. (laughs) It's supposed to be a happy podcast. It is. A happy, fun podcast, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, but it is awesome. Cause you just think about, you know, a lot of times we don't get to see what God does and protects us from, but that was a very moment in my life that I did. Yeah. So amen. Yeah. Hey, um, so then the follow-up question is, with yep. so much work to be done right here in our own hometown, in our own country, why do we go to places uh, internationally, especially considering sometimes it's dangerous? Yeah. Well, um, I would say the heart for missions and just people in general, um, it doesn't matter who they are, they need Christ. And um, there are certain areas of this world where Christ isn't available as much. And so I know that a lot of um, my heartbeat is that when we go into some of these places to be able to connect with these young kids. In Honduras, we have a sponsorship program and um, I pray for my kids and I try to invest in them um, the importance of knowing God and having a relationship with them and um, followed by helping make sure they can go to school and making sure they're fed. and. Um, we do have hunger situations here in the U.S., but we have assistance programs and we have things that offer, you know, um, food to them. And in these other countries, there is no assistance food program. There is no um, backup plan if you don't have school supplies. And so it is humbling to go over and actually be a part of helping somebody who absolutely cannot help themselves. And so um that's kind of my heart behind going over there. And it puts things into perspective each and every day. Um, there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't think about those kids. Um, there's not a day that goes by when I take a shower that I am not grateful that we have hot water and um, that we have running water and that my kids aren't sleeping on a cement floor. And yeah, amen um, to that. there's just so many things that it puts life back into perspective and it just makes you want to give all the more, even if it's here. Mm-hmm. Um, it just helps. It helps me to stay stay in, in a mindset of just constantly wanting to help others you know in a fashion that whatever that looks like because it's different everywhere you go i tell people that ask that question that um most of the time there's an insinuation there that we're not doing um enough work here or that there's enough here work that we here to do that we don't need to be going elsewhere the reality is 90 percent of what we do is here yes 
Um, this is where we live. This is where we do our mission. This is where we work and reach our own community and, and help people here just like we do abroad. Yeah. And we do it week in, week out, every week of our lives. Our church is a, a very um, outreaching, community-driven church. And so the insinuation that it needs to be either or, I think, is um, unfair. Yeah. And um, I say this cautiously. I'm not trying to make a swipe at anybody, but we've been doing what we do now for 20 years. Most people that make that statement, why do you do so much elsewhere when you could be doing here? Those are the people that are generally sitting on their keisters in their house doing nothing themselves. Yeah. And um, because when you have an actual heart to help your community and you really are serving it, you don't wonder why would someone want to help somebody somewhere else? And so most of the people that kind of make that um, statement are people that truly don't do much in their own lives to help their communities. Um, that's the, the first thing that I would say. And then next, we are told to go. We're told, Jesus yeah. told us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so um, we need to be going and sending and serving, not just our own, but everybody yeah. everywhere. And so um, I that's why we do what we do. Yeah. And it's been... Uh, equally a blessing to us. Yes. And I would argue when you look at our personal church that we've been at now for 14 years, the, the body of believers God has us at um, here in Derby, Kansas, we've actually grown. We're, we are doing more because of our mission-minded work that we're doing in other countries. We're doing more here. Yes. Locally. Yes. And so... Um, the whole concept that somehow you can't do both, I think, is a little bit silly. And then um, the question of, but why would you go if it's dangerous? And I think that is an important question to answer. First of all, it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to know. Um, in fact, there was there was a time we made the decision to pull out of Haiti. Yes, and I will say that over Christmas this last year, 2019, Hallie and I, our daughter, went to uh, Juarez, Mexico. And she wanted to go, but before she went, it's very dangerous there. But before she went, we had a discussion with her on how dangerous it was. And that if she was going to go, because she loves missions, um, that that was a decision she was going to need to make. And if that meant she might not come back she needed to be ready and she needed to be okay with that and so i think that those are kind of you know important to keep in mind as you do missions and yeah well i think that it's not for everybody yeah. i think god sends certain people to certain places mm -hmm. and you need to listen to the holy spirit you need to be led by the holy spirit but my general attitude has been so if we don't go who else will yeah and why not us yeah you know, um, so, and and ultimately, I believe that what we're doing is worth the risk. Yes. I'd rather die trying to bring people the gospel and, and spread the love and message of Jesus Christ than to live my life in a bunker mm -hmm. with a bunch of people that are already going to heaven yeah. and uh, just feel safe. I just, that's just not in my heart. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily saying everybody's heart should be the same, but it's just not been ours. I yeah. don't see that ever changing. I do think you need to walk with a degree of wisdom. Mm -hmm. But um, I'll tell you, one of the things I think we Americans do way too often is we try to hold on to our lives. Mm -hmm. We want to live forever, but we're all going to die. But not everybody really lives. 
and some people spend their whole life just doing very little with it. And I would I would rather live life to the fullest to try to reach as many people as possible and take the message of the gospel to, to places that other people might not want to go. And if I die in the process, I'll tell you, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I really am. I'm okay with it. I know where I'm going. And uh, I love the adventure. I love the excitement of it. I love the reward of it, you know, which brings me to kind of close out this section on missions. Let's talk about that. What What is some of the most rewarding things that have ever happened, best experiences you've had? For me, one of the best experiences I've had was the worst experience. Yeah. You know, I learned some things through there. I remember when we made it through the second fire barricade mm-hmm. that... Um, and, and really, that was three danger points. The first danger point was the bridge. They didn't have fire set to the bridge. We had to get through the bridge where this major hub was at. That's where we ran into these gang leaders that eventually hopped on our vehicles and led us through. And I'm like, this is insane. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Then we get to the first fire barricade. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do about that. They jump off the vehicles. We're getting rushed by people. As soon as the people recognize who the face of these leaders are, they're like, what are you guys doing here? And, you, you know, I'm assuming that's what they say. They're, it was in Haitian, and they're all screaming, and I couldn't understand it. That's just Joplin's paraphrase of what they were saying. But yeah. they're like, what are you guys doing here? And they're saying, we're leading these people through. And they're saying, no, nobody's getting through. And they're like, do it now. And eventually, these people that are manning these barricades are I'm talking hot flames, five, seven feet off the ground. Run in them, start throwing and uh, the tires apart far enough you can get a vehicle through it. Mm-hmm. We drive through. They throw all the tires back behind us and continue their blockage. And then we go to the next one. And this, I remember the second one we went through. It just like my brain processing everything like this is happening. We're going to live. And God has supernaturally provided for us the only people of this entire, it's a multi-million yeah. person city, being this, this protest, this organized protest of all the citizens led by these leaders of the resistance. They're hanging on my car, mm-hmm. leading me through. It's an experience I can't, I'll never forget. It was just like surreal. And one of those guys, I'm not crying. I'm not crying. If it looks like I'm crying on the air, it's just a little, the the lights in here are a little bit um, uh, shiny. So um, anyways, one of the guys that was with us in that barricade got saved. Yes. The following week, Mm -hmm. left the gang, left their voodoo practices. They're very voodoo religious there in Haiti. Left it all and is a member of the church now, of the pastor that helped us get out of there. I mean, incredible story. And I'll never forget it. It's one of my my best experiences. I've got a couple other, but let's start with you. What's some of your... Okay. Um, I have Best a lot too. Um, one of my things that I absolutely love is that our church is very mission minded. They're very giving. They're very driven. They're very um, just excited to see God working everywhere. And so, um, you know, we got to go to the Philippines several years ago. I did. And I got to go see hands on first place what our funding had did to help them build their school, their church, their everything. And so to be, be able to go over and just see 
everything that we had been able to be a very small part of was just amazing because they were seeing souls saved and lives changed and kids educated and things that would have never happened had we not been able to say, hey, listen, we're going to invest in you. And so that was really awesome, too, is just seeing what what we're able to invest in and how they're training pastors and they're training teachers and um, just endlessly doing things that we couldn't have ever did over there. They couldn't have ever did over there had we not been willing to help. And so that was one thing. Um, and then another thing that stands out in my mind is we have this organization in Honduras with sponsorship. And um, I absolutely love to go over and get to know these kids personally more and more because we have a lot of kid, people that are sponsors and mm-hmm. they can never go. It just doesn't work for them to go. They're not physically able. Their job doesn't allow just, you know, whatever it may be. But it is so cool to be able to go over, get to know the kid and the family and then bring it back and tell these sponsors, hey, listen, and it helps build this personal relationship and it gets them even more excited about their kid, pray for them more, um, be more personal with them. And so that's really awesome. But one of the things that's personal is that um, there's a young girl that we don't actually sponsor, but I have connected with every time we've went. And um, she's a teenager, so she was too old for the program, but she and I have connected so well. And she told me the other day, um, she really watched our ministry. She watches how much we love God. We wa- She watches all of that and just Um, it has built her relationship with God that much stronger. And she was so excited the other day to tell me that her parents actually had become deacons in the church. And so that was a really huge step. And that was just so awesome to me to see that young girl's faith just rising up. Who's that? Uh, Daily. Daily's mom and dad are deacons now. Yeah, she said, I've started helping in the church and my parents actually just got recognized. And she sent me this picture and it was just incredible because um, she was excited to share that with me because she knows we love God. And so those are a couple things that just stand out in my mind big. I've also enjoyed just getting to see different cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, It's helped keep in perspective how blessed we are. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing I know about all the American uh, chaos right now and all the whiners and babies that think this nation's so bad, the one thing I can guarantee every time I hear it is that these are people who are born and raised here. They've never actually been anywhere else. And they are utterly ignorant to how blessed we are. Yes. And uh, if they could just go with us one time, they would see how good we have it here in the U.S., are there some things that could be improved? Sure. It's a nation. There's always going to be things that could be improved, but we have a good here. Yeah. And it's been has been awesome to see other cultures. Um, it's been awesome to see that God works in ways that are outside of mm-hmm. our box. You yes. know, you see the way that people in Haiti worship and the way that people in the Philippines worship and the way that people in Spanish that's culture good. worship. It's a little different, mm-hmm. but it's the same God. It's the same spirit. Yes. And, and that's been an incredible experience for me. And... Um, before we move on to um, kind of the fun section of our podcast, I just want to encourage our listeners, our viewers, hey, if you guys are interested in uh, knowing how you can help, how you can support any yes. of the missions that we do, um, reach out to us and let us know whether you want to travel with us and actually go see for yourself what's happening in some of these places. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obviously been difficult with COVID this year, Yes, but we normally do a trip to Juarez, Mexico twice a year, uh, Honduras twice a year the Philippines at least once. And so it's not uncommon for us to do five or six international mission trips annually every year. And so if you're ever interested in joining us, we would love to have you go. If you can help support these works in any way financially, whether it's through child sponsorship or just a a raw donation to be used wherever it's needed most, 
Uh, we encourage you to uh, help any way that you can. And you can find out full information at JoplinAndrea.com. You'll see uh, the missions tab, and it'll have, uh, and actually it's called the Join the Cause tab, uh, information about our missions and how you can get involved. So yeah. little plug there. Yeah. All right, what are we talking about? Fun stuff today, Andrea. All right, we love fun stuff. All right, we're going to kick it off with Joplin's Amazon spending. And I'll just go ahead and start this little story off. So Amazon's at our fingertips right now, if you have like a smartphone. And so that has actually been very handy for Joplin. Um, he can't find it in the house, so he just orders it. Yes. Um, he needs it, he orders it. He doesn't need it, he orders it. False. We might need it, he orders Correct. it. Correct. Uh-huh. And so um, as time has went, this little Amazon account, this little handy little app has just become more handy and handy and handy. It is handy. It's, yeah. an, it's an incredible thing. Yeah. For um, instance, you know, like the other day, Joplin couldn't find scissors, just cutting scissors. Excellent example. Um, we have probably, who knows, maybe at least 10 pair in this house. How many was I able to find? He couldn't find any in the Bingo. one drawer that, that he correct. thought they should be in. The and so you know true. what? He didn't even go look, folks. He just got on Amazon and boop, he ordered three more pairs. This is correct. Uh-huh. Yep. Now I've got my own pair. I got an extra bonus pair for wherever they want to put it. And then I've got a set, you know, another pair to put in the scissor drawer where they're supposed to be. Yeah. And here's the truth. I've not needed uh, a time where I needed scissors since then that I wasn't able to get some. So that is uh -huh. a great example yeah. and of believe Amazon it or shopping. Not, Save Amazon money on gas. I didn't have to drive to Walmart drive, and get them. delivers right to your door. And usually it is like a 24-hour turnaround. So you got it like, you know. Yes. Real fast. And so this he, doesn't sound like a problem to me. Does it sound like a problem to you folks? Well, it kind of does because we didn't actually need scissors. We did. I was not. I needed them didn't. and we were not able to find any. <laughs> no. I mean, that's what you call needing scissors. Pretty sure the day scissors. they came in there, I went and found like three pair that were just in the children's rooms that should have been in here. And instead of you looking in the children's rooms, you just ordered us a new pair. What are you doing? They're supposed to be right here. Where are my scissors? Oh, no, he's going to get on there and order some more scissors. This is annoying, folks. I'm supposed to have my scissors here. How in the world they are not here? Yes, so see, this is a problem, and I will let you decide for yourself. We order No, it's not a problem Actually, that I buy stuff. It's a problem that my scissors are gone. But it's That's a problem, the problem that folks. he orders stuff that we don't actually need because we already have it in our house. Okay. And he does do that with a I few I think it's things. clear that our listeners and can like tell you've lost this argument. And like things that maybe you would never ever get in your whole entire life because it's just, you know, not convenient. You wouldn't find it at Walmart or whatever. And he's like, maybe Amazon has it. And sure enough, Amazon has those weird gadgets that you would never spend money on. And sure enough, we have a new set of this. I a wish we could have a live that. poll right now for our listeners to just vote on who won this argument. I'm pretty sure I would win about seven to three. I don't think so. Seven to three? No, I, I, I think, think it's so. actually flopped. It would be like three to seven, mm. and I would be winning because mm. there's a lot of extra things that... Well, he ordered some tank tops the other day. Needed some? Hair clippers? Mm, yeah, he did. Or we did need the hair clippers, so yes. I will go with that. And here's why. because So we had a couple of pairs a of clippers, story. all right? And um, one for the dog. One for the dog. And one for the kids. And I used to cut my own hair, but kids, as you can tell... Say that's boys. boys. Boys, yeah, one for the boys. Yeah. So we typically do our own haircuts here. Um, and anyways, the one for the boys, it was just getting dull and wasn't working very well and needed a new one. So yeah. I, I needed to, I had to use the dog clippers a couple times <laughs> on the boys. True story. 
True story. I don't know the difference. Honestly, I just think they market them to dogs and versus people. Maybe there is a difference, but I use the dog clippers for yeah. a while. But um, I wanted to talk about, so our son, our 13-year-old son, Tyron. Yeah. I've, I've cut our dog's hair for ever since we've had him. And one time he just wanted to do it. You know, he likes to, he likes to help. He likes to do what dad does. And um, so I'm like, yeah, you can cut the dog's hair. And let's just say that it was so funny that at one time, a week after it was done, Andrea and I were in bed talking about it. (laughs) And she started laughing until she physically (laughs) cried tears at how our dog looks. So tell them, tell them how, what happens when you let your 13 year old Cut your dog's hair. Uh, well, let's just start racing. He was about half cut. And then there was lots of areas Tyron was really nervous to cut, so he just didn't. And so if you can imagine this dog that's, like, got the top cut, and that's about it. The hands, the paws, the feet, the belly, they, like, all still need cut. But the back was looking uh, really good. And, and on his front, yeah. though, on his front legs, yes, he did one side. Yeah. And our dog's pretty uh, – It's got it's a long-haired dog. Uh-huh. And so on one side <laughs> – he he basically with like a you know a, a, a one the shortest thing cut all the dog's hair off of one arm and then on the other arm he didn't even touch it and so yeah. like so one arm was walking. puffy and one arm was really thin and it was just so funny yeah we left him that way for a few days because <laughs> it was great yeah I fixed it eventually but we let it go for three or four days uh, yeah. because it was just a really fun it was thing like too to see. fun not to so yeah so of, yep. of the many businesses y'all might be considering starting you know at this time in, in our nation's history uh, a business where your teenage son. <laughs> Does dog hair cutting probably not going to be real effective? Yeah, yeah, true story. All right, right. and then uh, today Andrea did something that was amazing. She's been terrified to do for a long time. Tell us about this uh, terrifying fear that you overcame today. Okay, well, let me start off by saying that the girls and I went to the sunflower field um, two days ago because we want to take pictures, and it happens to be on lots of dirt roads. So my black car now looks brownish. Or has like this faded brown tint. So Joplin wanted me to wash the car today. And we have this cool little like car thing that gives you free car washes because he pays for a monthly thing because Joplin loves clean cars. Um, but I had never actually driven through it myself because it scares me. It just terrifies me. The idea. But you don't even have to drive through it, guys. You just no, come and the idea stop of having to line the car up neutral. on the track, make it stay on the track. I saw a friend of ours vehicle that had went through the track. Everything went bad, and the thing scraped his entire truck up. They ended up having to, like, pay for lots of damage. And so, in my mind, like, the worst that worst could worst could happen. And so, I pulled up to this thing today. I'm by myself. She's been through this thing, like, 40 times with me or the kids. Just she's normally in the passenger seat. Yes. And I'm still scared in the passenger seat, but not near as scared because it's not my fault. If something bad happens, I'm just the passenger. And so, today... Actually, Joplin was helping get set up for all this. He said, why don't you take the car through the car wash? Because I was already getting out. So I was like, okay. And I didn't even realize until I got down the street what I'd committed to. And it just, it was, I had anxiety about it for a while. I pulled up. Usually the lever just goes up. Today it did not go up. I had to actually like push the thing to start. And there was three cars behind me. And She called me on the phone. She's start. all like panicking. She hadn't even made it to like the the area where they tell you to pull up and put it in neutral. She was trying mm-hmm. to simply pay, if you will, to get into the mm-hmm. thing. And it was like, you're going to be okay. 
You're yeah. going to make it, hon. Calm down. Yeah, it was scary. It was really But she scary. did it. I was really scared. She did it. She's a warrior. She's very tough. Yeah, we had Michaela's now. friend works there. I, he was on the phone, and if he wouldn't have been on the phone, I would have got out and just said, like, hey, can you drive my car through there? And he would have because he's a good guy. He would have hopped through, cleaned my car, and brought it back around for me. But So now that you've done it, no <sighs> I problem. I do it myself. You can do it again. Now you're a pro. You can do I it any time over and over. It's still scary. And then I was, like, going through, and all of a sudden, you know what happened? My car stopped. And then it started going again. I wasn't there. I can't verify it, folks. I Snapchatted the whole thing, so you can go watch it. Okay. You can see the whole car just goes, and it pauses for a second, and then it keeps going. Didn't it make that little noise when it stopped? No. It didn't? Okay. <laughs> just trying to get my mind around what no, happened down there. No. Huh? No. All right. Well... <laughs> Zips so, Car Wash, Jeremy, Kansas, folks. You guys go try it, it yourselves. But you, if you're, if you like Little, to be did you scared, know I came through. <laughs> if you like to be terrified, if you're the type of person that loves going out during Halloween to haunted houses and just being scared, <laughs> it. y'all got to go to Zips and give the car wash a try. Hey, it's time for us to uh, get out of here. We love you guys. I hope yes. you all have a wonderful weekend. Yes. We'll see you next week. Have a good weekend.